that was almost a disaster. <laughs> I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Two things. Number one, uh, our nativity is tonight. If you'd like to play a part, if you've missed Halloween and you like to come dress up, we'll, we'll have something for you. Uh, if not, just come by and see who the wise guys are. Uh, the second thing is, is that I keep saying that our, our Christmas Eve service is at 6.30. I wrote it several times at 6.30. In the video I did at 6.30. So if you see me out and about in Burlington say at 5 or 5.30 on, on Tuesday, say, Mark, you need to go to church now, okay? If not, somebody else is going to have to be preaching. So, uh, uh, but so please do that. All right, Luke chapter 2. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word, for the chance to hear again today the message of the angels. Lord, help us to make it not something that we just read, as Howard said, but that something that is a part of us, that we too may go out and sing of the great gift of your son. Father, bless me with the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great joys of being a bachelor pastor in a small town is that everyone is in your love life. And I was that. I was the bachelor pastor in a small town in eastern North Carolina for about three and a half years. It was so bad that I believed that there was a form that the ushers had in the vestibule and if a single woman under the age of 60 walked up, they'd hand it to her. I would get set up with all sorts of folks or handed their number. There was one dear couple, Clifton and Ruth Smith, who would inquire from time to time how my love life was. And Ruth would end every conversation with, well, preacher, you'll, you'll know when you know her. You'll know when you know her. Well, about three months into dating this one particular girl, we took off to see friends together in Washington, D.C. at the New Year. Washington, D.C., a town of gridlock. 
more ways than one. A town that you can easily get lost in. A, a town that if you're like me with a very short fuse while driving could just make you go all crazy. Probably was not the best place to go dating this girl for three months. But nevertheless, it's what we did. We went and visited and saw the sights. And on the way back home, I realized that I was not ready for this trip to end. Most of the time when I go off with people, I get tired of them real easy after about the third day. You know, this one I didn't want it to end at all. In fact, I realized that this long and difficult journey to D.C. and back had found me my one. She's in the sound booth this morning. We've been traveling together for many years now. Twelve to be exact. It's helpful on long journeys to have love in the center of it. And as we journey through life, how is it that we can find love? How is it that we can know love to help us, particularly in these journeys that there is much gridlock and difficulty? First, I think it's important for us to remember the love of the Father. Look with me at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered to marry his betrothed, who was with child. It had been 700 years since Micah had foretold that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. 700 years. And God, through his own timing, brought into play Rome, which at the time of the prophecy of Micah wasn't even a, a blip on the screen of history. And made Rome into a mighty empire that ultimately covered the whole Mediterranean. And just at the right time, roughly around 6 AD, took control of Palestine, the area that was known then, as itself. It was direct rule. And so they put in, they got rid of, the, of Herod and they put in place Quirinius as the governor. And the first thing he did was to figure out what he needed to do. At just the right time, then, this decree went out so that the right people were traveling to Bethlehem at the right time. If you were to read through the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter, which we've been doing the last three weeks, you'll find moments of time at six months, at five months, at three months. All of it was like it was some grand orchestrated time. Who can do that? The Father. Even go a step further, beloved. Think about the wise men. The wise men. 
the light that this day has left the closest star to us. Okay? The closest star to us besides our sun. The light that has left that star today will not arrive onto this planet until 4.3 years from now. And yet the wise men saw a star and the light from that star had gotten to the right point at the right time for them to travel to find Jesus. God has immense love for us, beloved, because he's always preparing for us. He's always making ways for us. He is always ensuring that the perfect things come at the perfect time and it's all in his grand will and design. And we have to remember that. We have to rest in that love and rest in his timing. The problem is that most of us don't. We try to get ahead of God, right? Eliza refers to these things in my life as long cuts. Some of you have shortcuts. I have long cuts. It's how I go to get around something and it takes me way around to get there. And she says, if we had just stayed in our lane, we'd have got there eventually. Guess what? God wants us to stay in our lane. He wants us to stay in our lane and wait on his timing and actually trust that he loves us enough to make sure that we are at the right place, at the right time, with the right provision to meet what it is that he has for us. Secondly, we find love in difficult places by the people that God sends to us as companions on the journey. Notice with me verses 4 through 7. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. The journey that Mary and Joseph begin in verse 4 does not seem to me to be an easy journey. We see that the journey is not easy because, first off, they've got to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And there's not a nice little interstate. It was probably a dusty road, I suspect. Mary's going to be on some animal, or maybe she's walking. We don't, part of the way, we don't know any of that. But we do know that it's going to be approximately 100 miles Eight to ten days travel. Not easy, right? Not easy back then. Certainly not easy now. Don't know what they might encounter. Now let's take it from a different perspective. Let's take it from a different perspective. Have you ever thought about this journey and what's going on in their minds as they travel? Have you thought about the psychological things that are going on in this journey? Uh, this, uh, 
it's not some teradiddle exercise. There's some significance to this. Think about it. They barely know each other, probably. It wasn't like Mary and Joseph were on some long courtship. These days, their marriages were arranged. So it's not like they had known each other for a long time and fell in love. You know? They might just be finding out things. You know, one of the things that I ask couples when I'm doing premarital counseling with them is, what is it about your spouse-to-be that annoys you the most? That's important, beloved. They're just finding out what they don't like about the other person. There's that going on. But then let's also understand there may be something else going on. Mary is pregnant. Mary is pregnant with a child that's not Joseph's. And while we think that Joseph just says, okay, Lord, whatever you want. Somewhere in my mind, I think that Joseph is still maybe having some difficulties with this. After all, the Bible is complete with people who are doing the will of God and don't like it even as they do it. Have you read the book of Jonah? And so here it is that Joseph is traveling off with Mary and all these internal feelings may be going on. Indeed, there is an old uh, Christmas carol from the 15th century that is based off an apocryphal account of this journey called the Cherry Tree Carol. Cherry Tree Carol, that's hard for me to say. And in it, Mary asked Joseph to stop. They stop at a cherry orchard, and she asked Joseph to get her some cherries, and Joseph says, go ask the father of your child to get some cherries. It's not a very happy thing, is it? That's why it's an apocryphal text, but I think it plays some lines into our thinking about how Joseph's doing with this. Beloved, you and I travel often in life with people that we're not really sure about. We travel a lot in life with people that we're uneasy with. We travel a lot in life with people that we have a past with, that maybe they hurt us at some point. Maybe they did something wrong to us. Maybe we're carrying some burden and we got to figure out how to deal with it. And you say, Pastor, I thought you just said that we're to travel with companions and find love. Yes. And how do we think we do that? Well, the Bible says here that Mary went to the manger. There was no room for them in the inn. And she gave birth to a son. Beloved, I don't know. The text doesn't say, so I have to read this in the white lines. But I suspect Joseph's the one there helping deliver this baby. I don't think they, they're not at a hospital. I don't think they've called the midwife. I think Joseph's there helping her deliver this baby. And when that baby is born, think about it. Here's Joseph holding this tiny little baby. And Joseph looks into the face of that baby. And let's remember here that Joseph is looking into the face of God. I suspect that it all took care of itself. 
Beloved, you say, Pastor, I can't look into the face of God like that. Yes, you can. Every single one of us in here is made in the image of God. Every single one of us in here bears the mark, somehow, of the image of God. And we have to look at someone through those eyes and see that worth in them. And when we do, we find the thing that we can attach onto that will enable us to love them and find love in our journey. Find love that helps us overcome our past. Find love that helps us overcome the hurts and the pains and the struggles that maybe they have pushed on to us. Find love that builds the bridge. We find love in our companions on the journey. Finally, we find love for the journey in listening to the stories of the forgotten. Look with me at verse number 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom, with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Beloved, there can be no lowlier person in this time, maybe, than a shepherd. Shepherds are considered to be uh, forgotten and stinky, right? We don't want to hang out with shepherds. You know, you don't want to go hang out with shepherds who've been out in the fields and tending to dirty sheep and dealing with all of those sheepy things. There's nothing there that you really want to do. But did you notice that the most important breaking news of all time is delivered to them? As I read this text this year, Something popped out to me that I don't think I had ever seen before. It was like I saw this through a different set of lens. I've always just thought of the angels showing up and illuminating the night sky 
and giving their message to the shepherds. But did you notice what happens here? It says that the glory of the Lord has shone about them. I read that and I thought about all that the glory of God is. And where is the glory of God most contained? And suddenly it dawned on me that maybe what is happening here is that God somehow or another has peeled back the curtains of this world for the shepherds and allowed them to look into that grand party that is going on in heaven with the birth of the Christ child. That the fulfillment of all that God has spoken about how the enemy would be forever defeated, how God's world would be brought back to its perfect state, has now been accomplished in the birth of this Christ child. And all of heaven is glorifying God. And that therefore, what the shepherds get to peek into is the very presence of God. amazed me because those aren't the people that this should be happening to right stinky shepherds are not the people this should be happening to it, this should be happening maybe in Jerusalem at the temple maybe this should be happening with a gathering of preachers Maybe this should just be happening with, with the holiest of the holiest of synagogues in all of Israel. It should not be out in the field with shepherds. And then I came across something else. Because I started looking up shepherds. Something else I hadn't ever known till now. Scholars believe that maybe as many as half of all shepherds in the ancient Near East were women. They used the Bible as their proof text. In Genesis 29, the Bible talks to us about Rebekah being a shepherd. In Exodus 2, we're told that Moses' wife Zephorah and her sisters were shepherds. It's believed that Rachel and Leah were shepherds. If you go to read Song of Solomon, chapter number one, you'll find that Solomon's uh, lover is a shepherd. Now, we remember from last year when we looked at the Gospel of Luke and talked about in Advent how it was the gospel to women, that women were some of the lowliest considered people in the world for the ancient Jews. They got up every morning, Jewish men, and thanked God that they were not a fool, a woman, or a Gentile. And so for just a moment, beloved, think about it in these terms. These just aren't stinky shepherds. These figure could be stinky, forgotten women shepherds. And the greatest message of all time is told to me. The forgotten. You and I, beloved, all the time 
skip over people that are the forgotten of this world. And we don't think about what they have to tell us. But hear this, beloved. If God can give the message of his coming to the lowliest and most forgotten of the world, he still speaks to all those people. And because he still speaks to all those people, they have something to tell us about God's great love. Because they are experiencing it afresh. James Cone said it like this. If you want to find God in this world, he is with the forgotten, the oppressed of this world. Go dwell with them. The ones who can't do anything from themselves but know that it takes God to meet their needs. We need to go listen to their stories. And hear love afresh. And know that if God did it for them, and we are no better than them, no matter though we may have a nicer car, a bigger house, a bank account, we may have food in our pantries, but we're no better than them. And if God loves them, He loves us. And the message is for us. We need to be of the same thought as the people in this text today. Did you notice that everyone that the shepherds told the story to, it says that they wondered? It's not a wonder. Like, like I got home the other day, and there was these packages on the front porch. And I picked them up, and not a single one of them had my name on it. They all said to Eliza, well, actually, they all said to Eliza Rudder. They didn't even say to Eliza Sanders. They said to Eliza Rudder. And so what did I, guess what I knew that was? That's my Christmas present. And so I, you know, I did all the stuff. I wondered, no, that's not what, that's not what's going on here. The word wonder here means to marvel. So when was the last time you marveled at the story of someone that the world has forgotten? When was the last time you marveled at that and found something in that that showed the love of God that you could take to yourself and that it would change your life in a way that you could go and share it with someone else and their life would change as well? Oh, this message... This message from Mary, from the shepherds. I think Mary treasured them in her hearts and used them in the days ahead on those difficult journeys that she was about to go on. There's sufficient love today, beloved, to get us through all of the gridlock that we may find ourselves. To make it a little bit brighter. don't travel well now without Eliza. I don't. When I go off without her, I don't do well until I'm back with her. 
Not even if I'm with friends. I, you know, if, if we were to go off on a mission and I, we were to, for some reason, leave Eliza here and I go off with you all somewhere, I wouldn't really be set again until I was back with her. Why? Because she has always been love in the gridlock. I do her and God disservice when I limit the ability to find love that are just there. For wherever your journey is today, beloved, there is love available for you. And because there's love available for you, there's also joy and hope and peace. You do not have to sit alone. I have these wonderful things in D.C. They're called HOV lanes. You can sit in the gridlock if by yourself, or you can find love with someone else, maybe, <laughs> and put a second person in the car and go, whoop. Have you found love to put you in the HOV lane of this difficult journey we're on that will take you safely home? Let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded of an old country song that says that we're looking for love in all the wrong places. Help us to find divine sources of love today. And to hear of your love said afresh to us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Who needs love today? God is love and he stands ready to meet you and fill you with an overflowing bounty of his love. Maybe there's some other need that you have. Maybe you just want to come and join with Grove Park and be a companion on a journey that we're on. Maybe it's something else, I don't know. Whatever God's laid on your heart that you need today, though, he will meet if you'll just answer his call. As we stand to sing, would you come?